1: And welcome to the Pride of Detroit podcast. PrideofDetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. Just gotta keep going fast like this, get get it through it like a uh, legal disclaimer at the end of a of a prescription drug for I don't know um, gout or something. The Pride of Detroit podcast will cure your gout. Welcome, live on Twitch.tv/slash Pride of Detroit as we come to you in the summertime. But we've got less than a hundred days now till football. We've got like, what is it? 84, 85, 83. I think it's 84. I could be wrong. Start posting all the jerseys. Start posting all the jersey numbers. Who wore 94 for the Lions? Uh, I'm Christopher Fett, the adequate host, at Christopher Fett on Twitter. Now to tell us who wore 94 for the Lions. Let's go live. Ezekiel Ansa. Jeremy Reisman, the fearless leader at Detroit Online, who jumped the
2: gun there. Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Uh Ezekiel Ansah. Austin Bryant did at some point. I don't think he wears it anymore. I don't remember. Uh, no, he's in the single DGs now. Um, but uh, I, I should also say that this is not a medical podcast. We are not medical professionals. We cannot cure your gout. Legal
1: we can, however, we can, however, uh, cure you of the dropsies with the um, Detroit Lions. Is that a promise? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Very right, good. Brian Matthews.
0: Black is the mother-
1: at Ryan underscore Pod, who always brightens your day, and that's a guaranteed medically. How's it going, big guy?
3: Congratulations to Rashid Wallace, the newest member of the Los Angeles Lakers coaching staff.
1: Wait is is that true? That is true.
3: The 2004 Pistons are invading the uh, Los, Los Angeles Lakers locker room right now, but
1: um, just like they did. What is it? 20 years ago?
3: Yeah, yeah. But that lions, means, guys, right? Hey, yeah, oh yeah. lions football, yeah.
2: <laughs> Listen, we're, we're getting sorry. deeper in, into the off season. It's getting harder to stay. It's, but hey, mid OTAs stuff still fo- kind of happening. Summer football
1: brain is real. Summer football brain is real, where it's like all you want is football to be back, and yet at the same time, it's harder and harder to stay focused on talking about off season football stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, if if Jeff Fisher didn't suck, maybe we'd be more in football mode, but the Michigan Panthers are like one in seven
0: right now.
1: Yeah, and apparently we're hosting the World Cup in the middle of like the winter, so I can't even distract myself with good other football.
2: No such thing, really. Oh, stop it.
1: Uh, let's. We do have some storylines to talk about this week, and we'll jump right in. Uh, we have we're on this show. We're going to be talking about play calling. We're going to be talking about Deuce Daly, DeAndre Swift, Jeff Okuda. We've got a mailbag to get to. We have plenty of topics to talk about on the Detroit Lions. So let's just jump right in as we start number. Uh, I don't know what this is. Episode of the Pride of Detroit podcast. we've been doing this for like seven years. I stopped counting numbers a very long time ago. Uh, let's start with the big guy himself. Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell is, uh, got to talk with everyone today. Um, I mean, last week, excuse me. You can tell my football summer brain is kicking in very badly here. Um, he's still not committal on who's going to call plays. Uh, it it sounds like he's going to lean towards Ben Johnson. I know he had the quote where it's like, Hey, you know, Ben's just got to put up like 84 points in the preseason (laughs) game and then I'll (laughs) hand him the reins.
2: Sure.
1: So, uh, Let's go, Ben. Let's run up, let's run up that scoreboard. But I, I guess there is like, Jeremy, are, is there any question that Ben Johnson's going to be the one to call plays here?
2: I I don't think there should be And hold on. I'm waiting for the alarm to go off and our gifted subs alerts really quick because yeah. it, it annoys the YouTube people when they can't hear what I'm actually trying to say. Uh, I, I would say there should not be a question on who's going to be calling plays, but Dan Campbell's really drawing this out and it's kind of interesting. He, he basically said like, listen, I, I haven't even thought about it. I don't really know. I'm not really going to know until we're really close to the season. And I just find that kind of weird. Like why not commit now? Ben Johnson is, is obviously integrally involved in, in developing this offense. He's very confident that he can do it. You know, I know he doesn't have direct experience, but his argument, because um, Ben Johnson also talked to us last week. <laughs> Let it happen. Let it happen. I I apologize to the podcast people as well. <laughs> and Ben Johnson said, basically, like, because I'm so integrally involved, I think I'll be able to call plays on a regular basis. The, the tricky part of calling plays is when you get into those kind of critical situations, the end of the half, the end of the game, fourth downs, things like that. And he said, well, I've actually had experience doing that as an offensive assistant at, at Miami. Now, I didn't do it in game, but obviously those are things you practice a lot and that's something that he was able to do down there in Miami remember and he was alongside Dan Campbell at that time as well so to me I don't really understand why he's dragging this out I don't know why you wouldn't want to just get Ben Johnson to start calling plays now and and he kind of is like I I think it was Burkett who noticed in the first week of OTAs it was Ben Johnson mostly kind of relaying the calls but I just I don't know to me it's silly that, that this is getting dragged out because I think Ultimately, the answer is Ben Johnson, but the fact that Dan Campbell hasn't made up his mind yet makes me scratch my head a little bit and makes me wonder if maybe he does want to hold on.
3: I I think maybe right now, the reason why Dan Campbell hasn't made a decision is because he would hate to have to take those away from Ben Johnson. Do you know what I mean? Like the Anthony Lynn thing did not work out, and I'm not saying that Ben Johnson is Anthony Lynn or that Anthony Lynn is Ben Johnson, but what I am saying is, maybe Dan Campbell is just thinking about, Hey, last year, I had to make a decision that was pretty tough. And essentially it left me with an offensive coordinator who was just kind of a figurehead, so to speak. Um, You know, really just like, I I think that's probably why we're at where we're at right now. But I think that when all things are said and done, Ben Johnson's going to be calling place. And for, for the reason that, He's like tied to the hip of Jared Goff right now. He's so invested in in Jared Goff and um, you know his future. Yeah, go ahead, Chris.
1: No, I was just gonna say like it, to your point, I've, I feel that um, like what what he did to Eric uh, Anthony, uh, Lynn, Anthony, Lynn, me, yeah. Anthony Lynn, excuse me, Anthony Lynn, excuse me. Like basically, like, I, I don't think he wanted to give Anthony Lynn the boot after one year too. But taking play-calling duties away basically shut the door on that. Like, you know, you don't want to turn over your second offensive coordinator to that quickly. So yeah, I, I do agree with you. I feel like that it's kind of a bit of caution yeah,
2: on his part. Like, like maybe it's better to promote when he's earned it rather than to promote right away and then potentially have to demote and then yeah, then you're yeah, kinda... and
1: earning it fits his philosophy too. It's what sure. like he
2: it's the standard he holds the players.
1: It's going to be the standard yep. he holds the. Um, To the coaches too. Go on, Ryan.
3: No, I I guess, I guess to all that point too, like there's a whole training camp to happen still, right? There's a whole preseason to happen. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked to find out that Ben Johnson is going to be the one calling plays in the preseason and, and maybe, maybe the, uh, maybe the media isn't privy to that information. Maybe they kind of keep it under wraps and Ben Johnson's like calling plays and, you know, it's almost like a trial run, I guess, so to speak for, for Ben Johnson. So, um, but yeah, I, I think we should talk more about the Jared Goff stuff because that is really the
1: big Ben Johnson takeaway from, from last week. It is the meaty. It's the money quote. It's the money quote besides uh, Dan wanting 83 points from the preseason, which makes me excited. <laughs> Imagine if you had a preseason game where the Lions are scoring 83 points. You'd all say, We'd all say that it doesn't matter, but I could just see them just running it up, keeping the first team out there.
2: Just it, Honestly, that- if they could score 14 points with Tim Boyle in there, just during the one or two quarters that he's in, that to me is almost like scoring 84 points. Uh,
1: Listen, listen, uh, Ben Johnson said he's going to help Jared Goff. I don't know if Tim Boyle is included (laughs) in this package here. Ben Johnson, yeah, go on.
3: If if Ben Johnson helps Tim Boyle score 14 points, Ben Johnson should be the one calling plays. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think that's that's something we can all agree on here. Uh, Ben Johnson, though, did say, I mean, he is obviously – Any coach would say this, but he says he is very confident, ready to call plays. The other thing he said, and again, like I know we're picking at the bones of these coaches on what they're saying. And maybe that's also into why Dan Campbell's garden, not to give us power here, but we do kind of every time these guys step up to the mic, we do kind of pick apart their words. Ben Johnson does say he wants Jared Goff to have the best season of his career here in Detroit under his play calling, under his under his system. he says they're building the offense around Jared Goff. But um, I don't know. Jeremy, I this is obviously we, – we've talked about this before. I feel like there was some revisionist history that happened with Jared Goff that everyone just assumes it's like, yeah, once the headset turned off, Jared Goff became – when the headset turned off between him and McVay, he became a bad quarterback, like that he was just this weird sock puppet for Sean McVay to move around. And that's not the case. This guy was drafted first overall for a reason. He had actual talent. He made two pro bowls. He didn't do that by tripping over his bleep. Like this, there there was a moment in time where Jared Goff could command an offense very well from the field. So are we buying that? uh, Ben Johnson's going to bring the best season for Jared Goff or can find the Jared Goff Renaissance. And I guess what
2: are the kind of those implications to him having a very good year. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot to unpack here, right? Um, because uh, you know they're they're doing all the things right that they should be doing this offseason. They're going back to Jared Goff's heyday, the you know back to back Pro Bowl seasons where he was you know in the MVP conversation for a while because he was just dominating. He was playing playing really good ball, and it what you like you said, it wasn't just Sean McVay you know being a marionette to him. Um, he threw the ball deep, he and he was successful. He's one of the best deep ball was in the NFL, I think in that 2017 season until they've gone back, looked at that tape and they're trying to pull whatever they can out of that offense and implement it here. And Jared Goff is part of the process. Um, Ben Johnson said he and Jared Goff sat down for about a week on end day, night, watching tape, trying to figure out what he likes to do and bringing it here. And one of the big takeaways was play action. That was not something the Lions did very much last year. They did a little bit more towards the end of the season. The Rams did it all the time. They continue to do it all the time during Jared Goff's uh, regime, you know, regime there for four or five years or whatever it was, they ran play action more than any other team. Um, The problem is the play action did not stop in 2019 or 2020, but Jared Goff's efficiency did. So what the key is finding what changed there, because you can, you can take the play action, but that's not going to fix everything. And, And so you have to figure out what, what went wrong after that. You you, you can blame losing Todd Gurley. You can blame Robert Woods leaving or or getting injured. You you can blame confidence. Like it's probably a culmination of all of those things. And I don't know how you fix it. Blinds did one good thing to fix it. And that is get a bunch of weapons around him and, and build an offensive line in front of him. And so he doesn't have those excuses anymore. So, it's just, I, guess, I guess maybe it's just a matter of building his confidence back and involving him in the play calling, um, you know, seeing how he he improved under this coaching staff in the in the second half of the season last year. All that's going to help. Maybe being a year away from Sean McVay is going to help. Um, but but I don't know. Like I'm not ready to quite buy in that like okay suddenly we're going to get Los Angeles Rams, you know, Super Bowl contender Jared Goff. Um, of, of three years ago, all of a sudden, just because they're implementing more play action. There, there's, there's more to fixing Jared Goff than just that, but it, it's a good step in the right direction.
1: And to be clear too, like play action has helped a lot of, you can be a pretty mediocre quarterback and still thrive very well on play action. People are saying even, Kirk Drew, I, I, well, yeah, I hear this about Drew Locke. It's like, oh, Drew Locke is a good quarterback under play action. Yeah, Like everyone's good to some degree under play action.
3: Yeah, it, I think... I, we we talked about this on the uh, Spotify Live uh, Q and A that we do on Saturdays, but uh, obviously with where we're at in the offseason, there's a lot of talk about Jared Goff, right? And I think I think there's a lot of narratives that were at play, especially at the end of Goff's tenure in Los Angeles, right? Like the story comes out where it almost seems like McVay's throwing Goff under the bus, and Mc, you know. Goff is kind of this like Island of misfit toy that ends up in the package for Matthew Stafford. And I, I I think that there's a lot to the fact that in 2017 and 2018, Jared Goff had the best running back in the NFL by far on his football team. And that helps, that helps fix a lot of things that helps keep the, I mean, it it keeps the, excuse me.
1: Well, it sets Uh, up the play action first and foremost when you have that kind of like great running back.
3: Yeah. And I mean, there there's, I mean, Jeremy can talk about some of the, uh, you know, the statistical data that that suggests that there isn't, you know, much of any correlation between having a really good run game and, and being able to, to use play action effectively. But I just think that with what Gurley presented as, okay, now they have to keep another guy in the box. Like they have to have somebody down just because, what if, what if nightcrawler gets the ball? And I, I think that there, there's a lot to be said about what the lions want to do offensively going back to last season, right? Like, I, I don't think that that mindset changes of them wanting to be a power run offense yeah. and then they pick and choose where they're going to be throwing the ball from there. I think the huge departure you're going to see from last season's Jared Goff to what we'll see here in 2022 is that average depth of target is going to rise exponentially because I think that they're really going to try to get away from the dink and dunk stuff, especially the throws close to the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, They're going to want to try to get vertical, and they have the guys to do it now. I, I think that's the one thing that we can say unequivocally is that the Lions have upgraded their wide receiver room, DJ Shark, drafting Jameson Williams whenever he gets back, you know Josh Reynolds for an entire season. The the Lions are in a much better spot when it comes to the weapons that are around Jared Goff, and that has never been, I think, anybody's quibble, right? I think everybody understands that, or or they should understand, that if if the weapons are around Goff, that he seems to be successful. I think that's why you look at 2017, you look at 2018, and he has those Pro Bowl seasons. But I think that you see the drop-off because – one, I mean, hey, maybe McVay was getting figured out a little bit, you know. the 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 Rams were getting away with less stuff, and then two, Todd Gurley, you know, is essentially done after that Super Bowl run. Um,
2: and so are you are you buying in? You are you buying some Jared Goff stock right now? It's pretty low, right? Like, I, I feel like I'm buying low. You're buying I, the
1: dip. You're buying the dip. Well, the, no, the dip was in October. It, it's a slightly more dip. It's a slightly longer dip.
3: Oh, it was like, I mean, like it was like Dow Jones, like, at the beginning of COVID, if I would have bought it on Halloween. Right. Like If I would have bought Jared Goff stock on, on Halloween, I'd be a, I feel like I'd be a moderately successful guy. But alas... Jeremy I don't know should should people buy into Jared Goff like is there is there anything to that kind of theory I mean like, there's, the, put there's the guys some... around him
2: and he'll be successful sure I mean a little bit I I don't want to knock the the 2019 and 2020 Rams though like they were these untalented guys with with no weapons like they they were good enough to be a better team and, a, and certainly a better offense than they were those two years and, and Goff is largely to blame for that and and I still think there's, there's some sort of yips going on with Jared Goff. And, w- you know, what I've already seen from OTAs is, is better, certainly a lot better than he w- where he was at last year in a new city with, with new receivers. But that was obviously a problem that went back to his Rams days. You, you look at his yards per attempt, his dot, his average depth of target, just plummeted in the last two years. And you can say that was Sean McVay pulling the, the reins back on, on Jared Goff. You can say it was Jared Goff afraid to make mistakes like he was making before that Um, you'd mentioned some, some of the high uh, turnover worthy plays he had in some of those successful years, even. Um, But I, I just, I need, I need to see it. Like I can't, I can't take the four game sample from the end of last year and just be like, that's him. And that's, that's going to be him going forward. Even, even though he has better weapons this year round, even though he has a healthy offensive line this, this time around from, from the beginning, I need to see it because there's two and a half years of very bad tape that precedes those four games that I'm not just going to wash away because there's a couple new receivers in town.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think what's, what still is in Jared Goff's hands is some of the decision-making at the end of the day. Like he he's, sure. he's, he's always been sold as being the guy who can command the offense, but to do that, you can't make the mistakes that sometimes Jared Goff makes. I'm not saying he like, throws you know he makes some turnover worthy plays sure but it's also it's also when there is pressure and like don't get me wrong i don't i this offensive line right now for the detroit lions is incredibly talented it's one of the more talented lines that jared goff has had but when that pressure comes on jared goff has always responded very poorly to when he is pressured behind the line and it it causes him to do things like make a sack turn into a much larger loss of yards on the sack by trying to backpedal or he misses, you know, pressure coming off his blind side or something like there's, there's, there's ways that Jared Goff has been able that that Jared Goff himself is responsible for some of the hiccups that were happening with the offense last year too. And those can't be ignored. And that's on Jared Goff to play better in those regards. If you are going to be a captain of of an offense, then you can't make the mistakes that other captains of offenses miss. And I think, I think that's a great way to talk about The captain of an offense. It's not, it's not a game manager, but you you know what I'm talking about. It's not an elite quarterback, but it's someone like, as we've always kind of compared him to Ryan Tannehill or Jimmy Garoppolo, who you can put them at the helm of an offense and outside of maybe a very large scale incident that Jimmy Garoppolo caused, Jimmy Garoppolo is usually not one who's going to blow up a game for you. But if you like Jared Goff has to avoid that, you can have some of those now and then, but you can't have those like once or twice a game. You need to limit those to like every other, maybe every third game. Like,
3: yeah, the the discussion with Jared Goff moving forward is, is he the quarterback that you win with or the quarterback you win because of? And that'll always be the determining factor of whether or not he's a guy who belongs in the upper tiers or if he's a guy who's kind of replacement level, because you can find a lot of guys, as you said, Chris, in the NFL that you can win with like the Titans had success with, Ryan Tannehill Uh, they won't any longer because Malik is going to take that job but the thing thing I want to say real quick about the difference in Todd Gurley right because I I think that is such a huge thing that you cannot overlook in 2018 right Todd Gurley averages 4.9 yards a carry on 256 attempts 1251 yards 17 touchdowns okay the following year, 223 attempts and he averages 3.8 yards a carry. So it's not like it's not like they went away from Todd Gurley or they, they, they had all of their chips still pushed in on that guy and he just was not the same football player. Yeah. And I, I think defenses they pick up on that. Like they know like if a guy isn't if he doesn't have the juice that he once had. I think, I think teams are going to key in on that. And the Rams were like, no, like, like Gurley's healthy. He can still play. And I, I don't think that can be discredited because I think Jared Goff, for all intents and purposes, and for the most part, is a guy that you can you can win with. But to Chris's point, he's got to clean up the mental mistakes, throwing the ball away on fourth down.
2: Yeah. Never yeah, want to know, see I, again. <laughs> I know this is a perfect segue into our next segment where we're going to talk about the other yes, yes. But, but <laughs> I do want to get one more point in here. Because I, I think it's worth reiterating the positive here, which is I think the Lions have done an, a phenomenal job in this past year to do every possible thing to make Jared Goff comfortable. They got him wide receivers. They praised him like crazy in the offices to try to get that confidence up, um, you know, and, and now they're, you know, they, they changed offensive coordinators basically mid season because it wasn't working. They, they got him a, a tight end that, that he loves. They, they made sure that, you know, relationship was, was tight. And now they're going above and beyond to to get him involved in this offense and, and going back to what he does well. And so I, I think this is another notch in in the Lions, kind of the way they're building this entire team. That's another notch in their belt of doing things the right way. Now, of course, we have to see if it works or not. Um, but I, I and the, the other question I was, I was kind of wanted to to ask you guys is like, the fact that they are putting so much effort into this, into Jared Goff, is that a sign that, like they're buying into Jared Goff or is this just like, like long-term let's let's make long-term you're saying like potentially like you're putting a lot of resources into making this one guy comfortable. Granted, like getting wide receivers makes every quarterback comfortable, but, but getting him so involved in how the offense is being built. Is that to you a sign that maybe they like, they, they still have a lot of belief in this guy as, as the franchise guy.
1: We'll we'll keep answers on this quick. I don't, I, I, (laughs) I'm still not convinced the lions won't take a quarterback in next year's draft. Like it just, everything se- seems completely lined up for it. And the, the level that golf has to play to prove he's worth long-term. I don't even know if he can just do it with just one year too. like, it can't just be a one year flash in the pan. Like this is, this is too important of a decision to really leave up to going back to Jared Goff again. So I don't, I still don't think they're keeping him from long-term. This offense seems flexible enough. They can throw whoever in there and they'll probably. again, as I said, play action helps a lot of people look very good.
3: I I think that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell have a lot of belief in Jared Goff. And I think that Brad Holmes has a lot of reasons that he should still believe in Jared Goff uh, because he was there for when he was at his best. But at the same point, if you have a quarterback you don't have to be looking for one and that's the most important thing that any general manager has to get figured out is they have to get the quarterback right and if th- this is the thing though like this is the year for me if Jared Goff sinks or swims
1: mm-hmm.
3: and this is going to be the biggest decision that Brad Holmes is going to have to face because if it's not definitively like you said Chris if it's not definitively this is our guy if we if we feel like a lot of this season might be flash
1: in the pan is Brad Holmes gonna move on from him? As I've been saying, Jared Goff has no more excuses. No excuses, nowhere to run. Just has to has to do very well. And even then, that might just help him land another contract somewhere nowhere else.
2: Nowhere to want, nowhere to run. run. run you can, you, to, can't, you can't do your backwards spin move out of this one,
1: Jared Oh god. Goff. Why, why'd you remind me of that? Um, <laughs> Ryan's been talking about how good Goff was with Todd Gurley, and that was kind of the bridge we missed on our tease for the next segment because we're going to talk about deandre swift uh deuce staley i'm not going to be like dj Airhorns here like deuce staley calling deandre swift out but i could if i was running a radio show maybe do that did deuce staley call deandre swift out i don't know well we'll talk about it next on the pride of detroit pod cast about the difference of playing injured and playing hurt
0: Welcome back to the Friday
1: Detroit P.O.D. cast kicking around here in the dead of football summer with 90 plus days to go. And yet uh, just summer football brain is a real affliction. Talk to your doctor about it while we talk about Deuce Staley and DeAndre Swift. So this made us some headlines. And I always know that there's something going to be coming up when I get asked about it um, at my other line of work. And that would happen to be the comments we had from uh, Deuce Steely, running backs coach and assistant head coach for the Detroit Lions, as he maybe challenged DeAndre Swift. So DeAndre Swift on background has missed seven games in his first two season uh, four last year with the injured, injured shoulder. I believe he had a concussion in, there in his history as well. And th- those are concerns. But Deuce is we we know how big the run game is for Detroit's identity or what they want their identity to be. And when Swift is in the backfield, it is a difference. Swift is a, you know, four plus yards per yards per attempt average. Uh, Do I have that right, Jeremy? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Just making sure I I blanked for a second. Um, Running back. And he is the engine that Detroit counts on to make their run game work. Uh, So do Staley came out this week and said injuries happen, but one thing, one of the things Swift and I had a conversation about is you've got to be able to play through some of those injuries as a running back. We all know there is a difference between being hurt and uh, being injured and being hurt. As soon as you step in this building as a running back day one training camp, you're not going to feel the same. There will be some things you have to fight through. You know, he's uh, it's on, on one hand, it's very steady kind of old school football talk, especially the are you injured or are you hurt? And to a degree, there is truth that. You are going to be playing through through hurt a lot, playing American football, but uh, Jeremy, like knowing the importance of the running back position, knowing that Deuce is kind of, I'm not going to say he's calling him out, but he's speaking to what I believe are some realities of the game. But you, I think you see this a little bit differently.
2: Well, there's a couple this. There, There is how it relates to Deuce Stalion or I'm sorry, to, to DeAndre Swift. And let's start there because I do think he's kind of more or less calling him out. And he, he did try to backpedal a little bit later. In the, in the conversation saying like, oh, you guys asked me about DeAndre Swift. So I have this conversation with everybody. And, um, and he was asked directly like, do you think there were any opportunities last year DeAndre Swift could have played but didn't? And he said, I don't know that. There's no way I could know that. I won't ever know that. But this is not the first time I've heard veiled criticisms about DeAndre Swift about this exact thing. This is not the only person this is the only person who I've heard say publicly in front of the media, which is it's, it's a, it's a thing like to, to say that in in front of the media and listen, the one thing about this coaching staff is they will never have a conversation with the media that they already have not had with the players themselves. And he said he had the conversation with Deandre Swift and he said he took it well and, and all that sort of stuff, but this is a very real, like you weren't tough enough last year. And I know, I know he didn't phrase it that way and he never would, but, that's essentially what he's saying. And It is a challenge to
1: him. It is a challenge to him.
2: Uh, but yeah. I see it kind of as a former player to a player challenging
1: them. Which <clears throat> right. I know that, that, that again, we talk about these guys are former players in the yep. NFL. That carries it specific resonates. weight when yes. it is a former NFL 100%. running back telling
2: you that you weren't available. 100%. And and yeah, I, I, think, I think you can only have those sort of conversations, those really tough conversations when you do kind of carry that you know, validity to you that, that you've, you've seen it, you've fought through it, you've done it yourself. So I know you can do it. Yeah. Um, it's a challenge to be better. Right. And, and listen, like there's, there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with challenging your, your players to play better. I do think maybe there is a conversation to be had about whether this is an appropriate conversation to have with an employee though. Like just saying like you're hurt. I still expect you to play in, in a league where they are trying to promote player safety and he's not, he's not asking him to play while he's injured. Right. They're, they're, and there. I do believe there's a difference. Um, but it's, it's just, it, I don't think it's a good look first of all. And I think we can have a conversation about whether that's an appropriate or something that you should be encouraging your players to do. Now. I, I, I know one of the major points and it's one I don't want to overlook is here's everyone's playing hurt in some sort of way, right? This is, this is the NFL everyone's going to have nicks and bruises and, 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 and pulls and, and things like that. Um, but we're, we're entering kind of an era in which players are taking more autonomy of their own health and their own business decisions and things like that. And so there's kind of this, this clash here with like an old school mentality of like rub some dirt on it and get back in and new school mentality with the players, which is like, I want to be able to walk when I'm 50. And so, this kind of is it, like this is at the crux in between those two arguments, like pitchforking both ways, because I do see it both ways. Like, obviously, he's not going he I, I don't think Deuce Staley wants DeAndre Swift to to risk his long term health in any sort of way. But he might be encouraging that unintendedly.
3: Yeah, well, to, to your point, Jeremy, I think that you see these business decisions being made across the nfl but maybe there's no position where it would be more apt to be looking out for your health than running back right i mean how many running backs are making it to their second contract and being worth it the 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 list is very small it's easier it's easier to point out the guys that are worth that than than the guys that aren't worth it so um the the thing about Swift though is I mean well I, I, I'm, I'm vaguely remembering I think training camp he had the groin injury right yep. that was lingering and lingered into the season into the season and then it was the uh, the AC joint injury that he had uh, in Shoulder. the Bears game that that knocked him out for for a few weeks there I I, I think it's totally I, I'm behind what Deuce Daly's doing for the only reason that you mentioned Jeremy is that this conversation happened before with deandre swift than when it happened with the media and that's why i don't view it as him calling him out i think it i view it as him as deuce Staley, kind of relaying to the media like hey this is a conversation we had and we're on the same page sure so yeah. that that's where i'm at with it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel at all like he's calling him out um even though it is being done publicly i think it's just that transparent conversations that have been happening between the coaching staff and,
2: and the media. There yeah. there is kind of that weird and maybe that's what is taking at least me getting used to is like okay, you have those I, I think we're so used to those conversations happening behind closed doors and staying behind closed yeah. doors. There there isn't this
3: veil of secrecy being, you know, hung over this right. franchise.
2: Yeah. And and some people I think view that secrecy as respect in at least in cases like this some people view the transparency as a respecting to the fans and, and media. And, and so it, it's kind of a, a balance there, but I think that's a, that's a good point to make that like it, at least they're having these conversations beforehand before they're saying, Hey, you got to be tougher to the media. Best ability availability to Ryan. Um, oh, a yeah. question
1: for you, Jeremy, if this happened, if they say, just instead of rather just talking to the media about it, if this showed up on like, I guess to your point, if this showed up as like kind of a behind the scenes thing on hard knocks, I don't think anyone would blink twice about it, e- even if it's like being, you know, behind the scenes, but also kind of not behind the scenes in that fake behind the scenes of hard knocks. Right. I feel like, I think, yeah, yeah I, I mean, yeah, I think it's, we're all kind of getting used to the transparency. And again, sometimes it gets certain guys in trouble. Like Dan Campbell definitely got raked a little bit about, you know, the the comments last year with Jared Goff. And I'm sure he had those conversations with Jared Goff before he he spoke to the Spoke to the media. But yeah, I, I don't think Deuce Staley is calling him out. Again, I, I have to cleave to this idea that it is a former player and former players. I, I agree with Ryan. Like there is a bit of a generational divide here. But I think also he he understands that he wants DeAndre Swift to play hard because that's how you earn that second contract. Like it, it's a weird catch 22 trying to earn that second contract. Like you can't just preserve yourself too much because you'll end up in a situation, a different position. But Take Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay preserved himself so much. And I guess he got a bunch of money, but he preserved himself so much that um, he ended up
2: in New York. He ended up in, <laughs> he's probably not going to see the end of that contract. Well, he's not, free, we another, right he's not going to see another,
1: he's not going to see a third contract. He's not going to see a third contract. <laughs> like is bad, my point. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you can't just hide yourself away, especially if you're a running back, you have to have some sort of production yeah. at the same time.
3: And, and, and- just explicitly draw that line right like deuce staley is a former running back like yes, he in the nfl
1: the shield right. itself
3: he he understands that like every play that you're getting the ball and even a lot of the plays where you're not getting the ball it's like you're in a car accident i, I think reggie yeah. bush um when he was with the lions he he said something to that similar effect of like yeah like every play is like being in a car
1: accident
2: yeah 10 and 10 seasons Daly said that deuce staley said that last week so yeah, yeah. guys are going 70 89 or you know, 18, 19, 20 miles per hour crashing into each other. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I d- does the, the old school mentality bother you guys at all? Like the whole like play through injuries, like that's just how it works in the NFL. Do you no think, man, like, do you think there's some, any old schoolness to that that, that, that maybe needs to be phased out of, of the NFL mentality?
1: Look, man, at some point the sausage has to be made. Like uh, I, I can't, I, I know there's more concern about it, but at the same time, maybe I'm jaded because like, in a different sport. And I think Ryan will appreciate this. Like the Ben Simmons conversation poisoned a lot of us. And I think sometimes like, like when, and for those who don't know in the NBA, Ben Simmons sat out a long time with the 76ers, got traded to the nets and sat out even through a playoff series. I guess we later found out he did have some back injuries, but at that point it was almost like boy crying wolf a little bit too much. Some people just refused to believe him. And like, And you had former players in the NBA calling out Ben Simmons. And in the NFL, that code of toughness is jacked up to 11. It's jacked up to 11 that you have, because it is such a collective mentality that you being available helps your team win, which helps everyone else raise the tide and, and rot and all ships rise with that tide. Like when your team wins, it helps everyone out financially too. Like everyone gets better contracts if your team is going to the Super Bowl or you get to say after after playing career that you were a pro bowler or you have a Super Bowl ring or you made playoff chases. Like, that helps you. So, like, there's there's no... there's It is a team sport that requires everyone to really buy in. And when you're talking about running backs, you were talking about 50% of your offense in some cases, that it is such an element that you need your lead back. And DeAndre Swift is the lead back. You need him out there. Like it, I I know that you don't want to ruin a guy's career so much, but there is kind of that expectation of sacrifice that I think isn't just completely. I I don't, I don't know if I can still call it old school. I still think that's current school too. Like I know players are looking out for themselves more and more, but it's what's expected of you from your, from other people in the locker room. And it's what expect is expected of you from the coaches. And it's what's expected. you. It's expected from everyone. And like, I don't, I don't think that in, in this case, it really takes a back seat. I don't want them to be stupid about it. I don't want them to be reckless about it, but I think we can understand the difference between reckless and, and having a collective mentality that the collective good outweighs the individual.
3: And well, speaking of injuries, we want to start talking about Jeff Okuda.
2: Yeah, we can talk about that. I don't know if you guys say anything else to add to the, uh, not there. really. I mean, I, I think I mostly agree with you guys there. It, it's just, it, it it does, it. it's weird to just hear someone say that publicly. You know, it, it's kind of saying the quiet part out loud, right? Yeah. Of, of players should play through injuries and players. I think we all secretly know that they do anyways, but I think you made a really salient point, Chris, which is like, it's almost part of the NFL contract. Like everyone on that field is playing through something. So you better join the club. Otherwise, I mean, who's, I'm the person who always says running backs are mostly replaceable. So if you're not willing to be out there and play through something, there are are a line of 40 guys who can take your spot.
1: Like, yeah, like this is, I I hate to say it, but like, and I want to be sensitive on concussions, but at the same time, like, at this point when you're playing football, everyone knows what you're signing up for at this point, you're signing up for pain in, in exchange for riches. You're going to have to go through some of it. It's, it's part of the gladiator sport. It's sick and twisted, but it's, the nfl wouldn't exist without it yeah football yeah. wouldn't so, exist without it so this is the uh the ugly side for sure yeah. it's how the sausage gets made man uh speaking of that jeff okuda is uh you know seems to be on the men from his injuries we got some quotes out of him this week that he is confident he's going to be ready when the time when it's time to be ready um so no real firm timetable there. But he is also saying, I, I love this quote out of him. I feel like I've been hungry, I, like I haven't eaten years, which for most people that would result in you being dead. But, <laughs> but for Jeff Okuda, he's ready to get it back out there. So, Jeremy, what's the realistic expectations you have for Okuda? Do you still like I don't know where you are with his timetable. You've been seeing him out there. You've been talking yeah. with him. So like where, where are we with Okuda?
2: Well, in physically speaking, I think it's it's fine to fully expect him to be ready to play week one. Um, you know, Dan Campbell said, like, at this point, I think the Achilles is, is kind of my the least of my worries with him, um, which can be read both in a positive and, and a negative way. Um, yeah, and if, if you haven't checked out Jeff Okuda's, you know, media session from last week, I would absolutely recommend it. He's very open and honest about his injuries, recovery, and, and kind of the emotions that he went through it but everything that he said seemed to indicate that he is mentally and physically ready. And and I think it's just a a matter of the lines kind of easing him in and he's, he's close already. Like he's doing the, the walkthroughs with the first team, he's doing some individual drills. He just hasn't done any of the full team stuff. So I think he's ready. And Ryan, I know, I know you got into a little bit of a Twitter spat about it today, but like in terms of intangibles, I think Jeff Okuda has absolutely everything he needs to still succeed in the NFL the question is just whether he can go out there and do it because physically I think he's going to be mostly fine mentally I think he's absolutely there he's going to put in the work and he's hungry and so it's just a matter of putting it all together and I can't tell you if all that's going to happen I can't tell I mean we haven't seen him put it all together on the field yet in the NFL level so I don't know but I'm really pulling for the
3: guy yeah. I think it's hard for anybody to not be pulling for the guy, but to your, to your point, Jeremy, you need a lot of those things to turn up aces for Jeff Okuda to be successful, let alone live up to these. Unfair expectations that are put on a player when they're drafted. Um, you know, I, I think back to Eric Ebron, I think back to even TJ Hawkinson do a little sure. bit right now for our discussions 100%. that we've had about him. Like, if you're a X player at your position drafted this high, you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to be successful. And it's suffice to say that Jeff Okuda hasn't done a lot of those things, a rookie season with Matt Patricia, you know, he, correct me if I'm wrong, but even going into that season, he didn't have a full off season because it was COVID year. And also he had the core surgery that he was recovering from. So, um, you know, you have that in Okuda's first season, his second season, almost ends before it begins, right? I mean, the, the the mythos behind Jeff Okuda's training camp in his sophomore season is something that, like, you know, tales will be told to your, to your future children about uh, if he ends up succeeding, right? Like, this is a guy who should, with this coaching staff, he seems like the perfect player. He seems like the perfect fit for a Dan Campbell football team because he's the guy who is – doing everything he can to be out of that football field. How can you not root for the guy? But a lot of things have to turn up Jeff Okuda in order for him to, to be the cornerback that I think everybody's expecting him to be.
1: Yeah. The, the Achilles thing is just the sort of Damocles is just going to hang over all of this. And I don't want to jump. I've already seen some people jump this gun about like, well, what if we convert Jeff Okuda to safety? It's like, okay, Uh, but like, no nope, Not happening. No, never. No, happening. Like, listen, like, like, listen, you want to have that conversation like a couple of years down the road. That's fine. But right. like the guy's got to at least try it out at cornerback here first. Like we, like, I, I feel like people are just kind of rushing way too quickly on, on Jeff Okuda's fate. They rushed too quickly after, after uh, Patricia, they rushed too quickly after the Achilles tear. And it's like, I, I mean, okay. Like, I, I want to give this guy a fair shot. I know sometimes in the NFL, you don't get a fair shot, but yeah. it, it just, it feels like we've all had, we, we've we all been trying to change the goalposts that Jeff Okuda needs to hit. All I want to see is, can you be healthy? Can you get it back on the field and can you play at cornerback?
2: Like that, that's all I really can want. Can you be a productive player? Like, yes. I, so many people are hung up. I still, I'm like, well, he's a bust because he, you know, we didn't get this any production out of it in the first two years. Yeah. yeah. Like, who, okay. Well, yeah, we all agree. We didn't get the production we wanted in the first two years. That Water under mean, the bridge, man. Yeah. Like that's just something we got to deal with. All right. It, it's it's a, it's a player from the previous regime. Let's hope the, the lines can turn him into someone productive going forward. And he, they've got a shot, man. They've got a shot because this guy is talented. He is motivated and man, like, he is just going to do everything. I, I, again, I, I feel like I have to continue to, to underscore this, like the strides he's made in his recovery in eight months is, I mean, it's not the levels of, of, of cam Akers, but it's not that far off. Like he's made some pretty incredible strides uh, in, in what used to be a, a very debilitating injury. So physically I'm not that concerned about it. it. It's just, it's the mental processing. It's getting everything together. And am I going to bet against Aaron Glenn to, and and Aubrey Pleasant coaching this guy to be a capable starter, as an Amani Oruwariye hater, <laughs> he they turned that guy into a pretty darn good cornerback at the end of the season. And I say that tongue in cheek, by the way. Um, so yeah, I I mean I'm not I'm not saying Jeff Okuda is going to be a top ten cornerback this year, but I'm saying he it, I think by the end of the season, if he stays healthy, big if, I think he's going to look like a capable starter and someone the lines are going to want in the starting lineup in 2023. I think that's a fair. That's just a very fair bar to hit. That's a very fair bar to try to hit. It,
3: it is a very fair bar, but do you know how many people you just pissed off by saying that, Jeremy? <laughs>
1: because
3: that's not because it's too not bad. enough. And, and this not. is this is this is what's so maddening about all of the discussion around Okuda, though, is the expectations are too lofty for a guy who plays that specific position, like cornerback, is. I mean, would you argue that, like, maybe the only position that's harder to play is quarterback? Like, cornerback is a very,
1: very hard position to play in the NFL. To, to your point, right, I feel like we do this every year, too, with Okuda. It's like we build up these expectations to sky high to sky high levels just specifically to knock him down. Like even when we were having these conversations about how hard it is to adjust the NFL, people were still saying, yeah, but you drafted him top 10. So he has to be productive the first year as a cornerback." Yeah. So and it's like, so why are they that- doing that? Why are yeah. you setting him up? Why are you in your I'm not saying someone's setting him up to fail, but you in your head are setting yourself up as a fan to be disappointed yeah nailed it yep let's take a quick break we've got a mailbag and uh we've been meaning to read these reviews and we're going to get to them in a little bit and uh ryan's bringing back the mailbag one more time we've got plenty of questions to get to as we roll down the road here of summertime on the pride of detroit pod cast Mail time. Hashtag ask P O D as always, get your questions in. We're going to keep doing these mailbags through most of the off season. As we get closer and closer to the season, we might retire some of it, but uh, always, always useful to us when we hit the end and need to add more topics. So as always, this point, we are going to hand it over to Ryan Matthews, but we, we need to read some reviews and I hand that over to Jeremy, who is our
2: review master. Oh, I get a new title. Uh, nice. Uh, before I get into him, I also want to shout out that we are at 589 reviews. Again, still holding our place as the most rated Detroit Lions podcast and 11 away from 600. So if you haven't done it yet, head over to Apple podcast. Give us a review. If you Five give stars. Us a Five star. We will uh, shout you out and, uh, and, and thank you personally. Like we will with addict 13 who updated his old review. Uh, and I think bumped us up to five star says best podcast for Detroit Lions that exists been listening for years and it keeps getting better. Uh, says, thank you for giving this Detroit to San Diego transplant, a safe place to follow his lions. Appreciate it. Uh, next one comes from D Flater says uh, five stars says we are so blessed as Lions fans to have a variety of great podcasts to follow. And POD is right at the top of the mountain with the best of the best. Keep up the grid work fellas. And to close out, uh k Bodebo, uh i guess is how we say that <laughs> five stars says perfect balance of fandom and objectiveness <laughs> uh, an unnecessary shot at chris again this one not so much his fault i don't think and you know i don't even i don't even agree with that i'm gonna say it says worst part of the podcast it's chris's goatee and it's not even that bad
1: what what am i oh my god why am i getting these strays <laughs>
3: I feel like that's unfair to put in the podcast because you don't know that Chris has a goatee if
1: you just listen to the podcast. That's true. Well watch on twitch.tv slash twitch. yeah watch on twitch.tv slash pride of detroit. And, and you, I judge. mean the one the one be thing i go to The one thing I will say is I play with it too much. And you stop doing that. And on to the mailbag. Phrasing. All right. Let's let's go let's go let's go to mail time. All right. What you got for us, Sackmaster
3: Ryan? I say speaking of things we play with too much. Um here we go. Kenneth Gabbert. Uh, At Kenneth underscore Gabbert on Twitter, he asks, who are you rooting for the most to succeed this year on the team or the coaching staff?
2: I feel like if you listen to the podcast, really any one of our podcasts in the past two weeks, it's clear that my answer is Jeff Okuda. Because one, I want him to prove all the doubters wrong. Two, it would make for a fantastic story, and three, the Lions really need a good cornerback. They'd, so, <laughs> they'd get a lot better. They'd get a lot better. I don't. I don't want to go too much into that one. So I don't know. Is is? Do you have a, a more interesting, um, a, a better, or a different answer than than that? Either of you? I.
1: This probably isn't better, and I think it's like a yeah, no duh. But like, it's hard for me, and I. It's right at the top. So again, yeah, no duh. I get it. It's hard for me though. And I've, I've been a big fan of this project ever since it began with Dan Campbell. And I still cleave and say that my answer is Dan Campbell. I know he's the head coach and everything, but like, I, again, it's, it's the thing that interests me most about this experiment, the lions are running and it is an experiment. I'm sorry, but this idea, this hypothesis he has put forward that former NFL players make great coordinators and great position coaches and a great coaching staff made out of former NFL veterans. I want that to, to succeed. And Dan Campbell is the one has, who has said, this is my experiment and this is what I will live and die by, is whether or not former NFL players like Deuce Staley and Aaron Glenn can be great defensive coordinators, assistant head coaches. Like, again, I've talked about how, how loaded the the team is everyone knows it about how many former NFL players, not rent, not rocket scientists, not guys who just did like, you know, uh, top the charts at like Villanova or whatever, and then just became, and like maybe went UDFA and then immediately went over to a quality assistant. Those guys are fine. They're X's and O's guys, but we've, we, we, we had a long conversation during a break about cronyism. And a lot of that is because of guys who just like, they're part of there. There is a fraternity of coaches, and Dan Campbell kind of sits squarely outside it and has said, hey, this fraternity can also include former players at the highest level. And I want that to succeed. That is a that is a reason, even for non-Lions fans, to root for the Detroit Lions. Because if it does, that opens up very cool possibilities down the road.
2: And and wouldn't it be cool if like there was a Detroit Lions method, a Detroit Lions way? A Lions way. way? That like led to success, and people are like, "Oh, the Lions tried something and it worked. Let's do what they did." Imagine that Ryan. Was- imagine Ryan Fitzpatrick,
1: who just retired, becoming your head coach one day. <laughs> okay, that that's taking it too far. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like the 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 sky is the sky is the sky is open. Like yeah,
3: yeah. There, I I have a couple of players that I'm just personally rooting for. Obviously, Okuda is at the top of that list. I really want to see Levi and uh yeah. succeed this year just because of what he's going through with the injury and how big of a boost he would be if the Lions could count on him to, to play a, uh, a lot of snaps this year. But my answer is probably a really simple one. Jared Goff. Make the biggest difference. It's fair. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, as I said at the top, right? Like if you have a quarterback, you don't have to look for one and Sometimes looking for one takes a long time. So, I mean, yeah. All right, uh, next question. Neptune at Big Double G underscore play asks, what will be the downfall for us Lions fans, not having enough patience or too high of
1: expectations? Well, to be clear, like us as fans, we have to remember that we have no real power at the end of the day on this.
3: But what will be our own downfall?
2: What will be... mm, what What is our hubris... I don't like I kind of think we're invincible right (laughs) like I don't know we've I don't think I don't think you can ever accuse Alliance fans of of not being patient enough first of all like we've waited 60 years for something (laughs) like I I know maybe patience with this specific regime is probably what the question is and right and I don't know I, I almost feel like enough patience or too high expectations are kind of two sides of the same coin right like we have too high of expectations right now because we're not patient enough to to wait out a full rebuild. Um, so I don't know. Like I I guess it seems like expectations are rising a little bit too much here, but not like I don't. There are some people that think this this line team is destined for the playoffs and and could contend for the title, but it, it doesn't seem like it's any bigger than a normal year of just like that group of slappies. So I don't know. I I think I think the Lions fans are in a good spot compared to where they should be that crazy I,
1: i need everyone to hear this on both sides of the aisle on all of it because i know there are some people who have been cleaving for a long time that dan campbell isn't working out but there is also the possibility that like in the middle of the season like we are too damn and and i don't mean this in any kind of ableist way but like i have no other word to use for it i'm sorry we are too damn bipolar like in the middle of the season when things are going wrong, like everything has to be cleaned out. Everything has to be cleaned out. and be that'd be one thing if you were that negative consistently, but then when it hits the off season, those same people turn around and get gassed the hell up, gassed the hell up on the draft picks on, on the scheme, work themselves into a frenzy, work themselves into a lather, and then turn around and say, yeah, 10 or 11 wins. And even in some Detroit media stalls out there, some talking heads who in the middle of the season had nothing but bad words for certain players or, or or this particular regime, crushing them, crushing them, crushing them. And here we are in the middle of June, and suddenly it's all about, hey, man, the sky's the limit with this team. Like, what, 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 what? I ask you to be consistent. Hate, but do it honestly. Love, but do it honestly. But for the love of God, I can't do this whiplash. It's the thing that annoys me the most about this fan base. That somehow in the middle of the season, it's fire everyone, fire everyone, fire everyone. Then we hit June. Yeah, I think this team can
2: win 10 games. It's, it's tough though, right? Because, I mean, this is not a Detroit thing. This is, this is an everyone thing. Because, I mean, we, let's be honest. Like We were guilty of it too. Like We yeah. had Jared Goff dead and buried in early November and now we're giving him a little bit of a chance. No, no one here is saying like, he's going to be a pro bowler again, but I mean, holding, we I'm keep going back to that. that set. Like we talked last off season that we would know we would wait until Thanksgiving to see if Jared Goff was going to be the guy. And we gave up on him before Thanksgiving.
1: That is true. And yeah, again, we're all guilty of that I'm a little guilty of it. I'm also part of the Lions fan base. <laughs> so I'm at least aware of that at some point, but I'm also a little more reserved on Jared Goff. Partly because also I want a new quarterback in anyway. But at the same time, like just I don't I'd like to think I don't go to that extreme level of
2: whiplash as some other fans do. The, The only thing I'll say is I kind of love it. Like this, this is why I'm so addicted to football is because of the swings of emotion, because of like the wildness of it, because there is nothing else in the world that makes me so angry and happy as football, I don't think. That, that felt like a very sad sentence to say, but like it's, it's just like I don't, there's nothing in the world that has emotional swings of football to me. And that is just a wild ride that I don't want to get off. Before the Lions, I made this podcast. Uh,
1: I had a college football podcast, and I had one of the sound bites we used to open the podcast was a clip from uh, Mike Ryan, the producer of the Dan Batard show, screaming about Miami Hurricanes football, screaming as his voice breaks fire everyone, fire everyone. It's a joke. Like that's, that's what I, yeah, that's, that's football. Yeah. Jeremy, you were,
3: you were describing what football makes you feel and and how it goes about doing that. I thought for sure you were going to say playoff overtime hockey, but I mean, almost (laughs) synonymous with one another for sure. Um, All right. Next question. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump over here and I know that I'm only making that order i don't care um jerry stutzman from uh geretics on twitter asks who will get the most sacks this year on the lions and over or under he's setting 43
1: total team sacks 43 would be a huge jump was they had 30 sacks last year so we're predicting a 30 percent like a 33 percent increase there jeremy
2: Yeah. And 43 would have ranked them 11th last year. So almost top 10 in sacks is, is, is the, the bar we're setting.
1: Mm. I'm taking the under Hutchinson. I'm taking the under. I'm sorry. Didn't didn't have Romeo LaCroix last year. They're not jumping up that
3: high. I'm sorry. I don't think they're jumping up that high either because he, let me, let me say this. So like, sacks a lot of people we get caught up in the numbers and those are the numbers that get players contracts right but we're, we're starting always... to see
1: more qb hits though yeah. yeah
3: but but we're really big on pressures right pressure is the true measure of of how disruptive a defense is the lions had 197 pressures last year the number one team in the nfl the los angeles rams had
1: 425 so <laughs> <over double. laughs> <Jeez. laughs> Well, what about the second part of this question? Who's gonna have the most sacks? Do we just give it to Aiden Hutchinson just because there's nobody else I can
2: really point to? I know that Michigan slappy wants to do that. I, I I'm almost a slappy on the first part of the question, honestly, because I think 43, they're gonna get pretty close to that number. Because I I I mean Rams had 71 sacks. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, but like, can you point to a position? on this team, maybe, maybe wide receiver, but other than wide receiver where they got better than edge, then Pat, maybe, maybe even take edge out of it. Pass rush. You got Pascal, you got Aiden Hutchinson, you got Charles Harris coming back. You got Romeo Quara, hopefully coming back. Um, and, and you've got some of these other edge rushers that, you know, maybe Jared Davis is, is an edge rushing threat right now. He's in on some of those NASCAR package. Maybe James Houston develops into the same similar kind of role. Like, and, and, I don't know. You, you can buy into it as, as off season talk and off season hype with, with all this like attacking defensive front stuff, but I think there's something to it. And if your secondary gets better, well, guess what? That means more time for your defensive line to get home. So I'm I'm 43 is still too much, I, but 40, I think is doable. And just to be different, I'll say Charles Harris. Do you have an answer for this, Chris?
1: I think it's Hutchinson. I, I'm taking the under, but I still think it's Hutchinson. Thing. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I'm not gonna I don't know what else it. to do. I don't know what else to do. Yeah. All not right. Not good with predictions.
3: Um, Jackson Reddick at Jackson underscore redick on Twitter asks, What are realistic expectations for the sophomore season of Chris's favorite lion? I'm on Ross St. Brown. Just to remind everybody, last year's stats: ninety catches, nine hundred and twelve yards, and five touchdowns. Seemingly doing it all in like six weeks. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I don't think it's going to be like this. Is that's the problem? Is the six weeks, right? It's also true in those six weeks he was getting an inordinate number of targets. Yep. But also, can we talk? Like his completion percentage was last year was what was it seventy six percent? I I. I, th- I thought I just had it up and now I'm just realizing I have my tab closed. Like he had an insane completion percentage. Like, Oh, oh sorry, here it is. It, I mean, catch, I'm sorry, not completion, uh, catch rate. His catch percentage was 70, 75.6%. Like golden Tate one year had 76%, but even like Calvin Johnson and a lot of those guys are going to be hovering around like mid to high sixties. Like, Amon Ra's hands are just blue. You
2: you would hope so after taking 200 thing, you know, reps on the on the jugs machine after every practice. Dude, he's a monster, man. So I guess
1: I, I, Jeremy, I want to pitch it over to you because, like, on one hand, I feel like I can go higher than that, but I also understand it's a much more it's a much deeper room now. Yep. And also Again, a lot of those targets at the end of the year was because like Jared Goff was zeroing in on him, but yeah. I also think some of that is replicable in a
2: scheme where Amon Ra can work out of the slot and just help you out for a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to go away from him, right? Like they they figured something out with, with Amon Ra. They figured out they have some something with him, and he's going to be a reliable option um, on third downs. Um, he'll, he'll still catch a lot of the, the close to the line of scrimmage stuff, which is... I think that that plays a part in, in some, with, with the catch rate, but um, they'll also be able to do a lot more with him. They'll also probably have him run downfield a little bit more and we'll get to see what, what he's able to do in in those sort of situations. I think you can expect a better season from him in terms of the statistical outpick, just because he'll be able to spread that over 17 games instead of six, but not like, don't expect this guy to get like 1600 yards. I think like, over a thousand is realistic. Over you know, a thousand just,
1: is doable. Yes,
2: I, maybe maybe like an eleven hundred. So you know, two hundred yard bump up might not seem a lot considering how we finished the season. But I think, given that they're just going to spread the ball around a lot more, I think I think we can't expect like a fifty percent increase or anything crazy like that. Yeah, there there are a lot of mouths to feed
1: on offense, I, which is a good thing. Yeah, I just have to I just have to go back to that because I, I I've been able to like check here like. So Golden Tate in 2017 had a 76.7% catch percentage, which is like, that is uh, receptions divided by targets. Right. Like there's not like, there, there's some random outliers in there that are higher. They're usually like running backs or something, but. Right. Because they're catching it closer to the line of scrimmage. Like it short right. passes, right? Amon Ross, St. Brown though, 75.6%. That stands out among every other wide receiver. Like that's insane. I don't know if that's, if that is continued to be replicated across multiple years, but I kind of want to see him around maybe like 70% catch percentage again.
3: Maybe I I have a quick follow-up question that you guys can answer real quick. Looking at those three stats, 90 catches, 912 yards, five touchdowns. If you can only say that he's going to do better in one of those three spots, which one would you bet it on?
1: Yards, probably yards, gets. yards, but touchdowns is I mean, actually, no, wait, C- probably catches probably, probably catches just again, because of his catch percentage.
2: Like I the, feel the, like the one thing I might say is I think he might have more yards per catch this year because he was such a, you know, short yardage target last year. They're going to open things up a little bit. And I think they're going to move Amon around on the outside on the slot. He's he's gonna expand his route tree, is what what I'm basically saying, which means his yards per catch might go up.
3: Yeah, I, I don't mean this as a slam by any means, but to that point, Jeremy, like of the top 15 receivers graded by um, Pro Football Focus in terms of their receiving grade, Amon Ra had the he he was tied with the lowest yards per reception uh, of those 15 receivers. The other guy was Hunter Renfro, so a very similarly used wide receiver. So, right. But
1: everyone loved Hunter Renfro last year. Yeah, I mean, think he just got you he, cut, he, he did cut it cut all. Touchdown. Yeah,
3: yeah, he had over a hundred catches. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, uh, from Trevor Boyle at Boyle underscore Trevor on Twitter. Predictions for the starting linebackers at the end of the year, barring any
1: injuries. This is an interesting exercise. We need right. we need something other than predictions, though. I feel like this is like two three weeks of <laughs> this just is all you can do, though.
2: Like this is all I know, man. Predicting, I know predicting predicting Um, But the the interesting part of that question, I think, is end of the season, right? It's not who's going to start at linebacker at the beginning of the year who's going to be there at the end of the season which i think
3: but but we've switched off injuries injuries are not right
2: in the equation right and so i i feel like trevor here is trying to get us to say malcolm rodriguez (laughs) since it's the end of the year and i'm not i'm i'm not gonna fall into that trap because i i do think expectations are a little bit too high for him right now um but i think i think Derek barnes is a safe bet but who's alongside him is tough because is Alex Anzalone ever going to lose that job? I, if we're turning injuries off, my inclination is to still say no is I think this coaching staff likes him a heck of a lot more than most fans do. And it's evidenced by that one quote we talked about last week, Ryan had his best year last year, according to Aaron Glenn. Exactly. And so I think, I think, you know, if, if the lions have their, their preference happen. I think those two stay essentially the starters of the entire season, but I do think, I mean, there's essentially a third starting linebacker in that room who's, who plays kind of that Sam role, which is more of a pass rush role who, which I think currently I would say belongs to Julian O'Quara. That one I think is much more up, to, up for grabs and, and could change a bunch of times.
1: Speaking the only prediction I have is maybe since you're talking best season he's had, and maybe this is a little bit of uh blasphemy but i feel like i don't know how much they're going to use him i feel like if anyone can get something out of jared davis davis it's probably the staff i think davis and it's not a high bar to clear let's be clear (laughs) but i think jared davis will probably
2: have his best (laughs) year he's 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 also a good answer for that guy i'm kind of rooting for it in a way like oh yeah i'd like to see him do really well but at the same time i also, there's part of me. It's like I don't. I kind of hope he doesn't make the team because I want the bar to be a little bit higher than that. <laughs> it's it's a weird kind of mix of emotions because I I mean there's no one more deserving of success Dude, than a guy like him. Coaching staffs love Jared Davis. They absolutely do, and there's there's a reason for it, right? Like he's a good locker room hard presence. Worker. He's a hard worker. He's a great guy to have out there to to compete against on the field because he's going to give it every rep, but. I'm not yeah. saying Jared Davis is going to light the world on fire. I'm just saying right. he's going to clear the bar that he has
1: set for himself.
2: I, I th- And here's the thing. I think they the Lions are molding out a role for him that makes sense for him. And it, it's the one that a lot of Lions fans have been drumming up for a long time. It's like, put that guy on the edge. He might be able to pass rush a little bit. Yep. Now, again, like I, I'm not even penciling him in on the 53-man roster at this point, but he's, he's going to have his best chance to succeed, I feel, under this coaching staff. I think he makes the roster. There yeah. you go. We got a prediction out of you. Do, do we have time for one more? Can we? Oh uh, yeah, we can make more? a real quick one. Yeah.
3: Okay. So this is from Jay Cooper on Twitter at Jamel Cooper, who I believe called in to the live Q and A show and had a fantastic question about why do people care so much about backup quarterbacks? <laughs> That's right. Um we don't. He, he, Yeah. He asks, has Brad Holmes given us unreal slash unfair expectations when it comes to late round picks? Uh, I feel like people are more down on Barnes than maybe they would be if St. Brown wasn't so great in year one. I think they're expecting big things from Rodriguez, maybe too
1: soon. I feel like you don't even mention Rodriguez. Just talk about James Houston. Um, I kind of agree with him in that the sense that like this kind of goes back to the Neptune's question. My answer there about kind of the whiplash we have that I feel like lions fans get so gassed up in an off season that even the third day, the third day, uh, pickups are going to be fantastic. And to be clear, that's not a problem either to just the Detroit lions or even to just Brad Holmes. I remember in years past guys would be like, Oh, this pick, this pickup in like the fifth round is going to be so great for us. But I, I don't know. I think Brad Holmes strength is his late day wheeling and dealing and finding like, Great pickups, but at the same time, yeah. Guess what? Not that doesn't mean hundred percent hit rate. Like, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. no. And I, I think to that point too, Chris. Like everybody's fan base thinks that their GM does a great job with late round draft picks because it's always after the draft. It's oh, X player should have gone a round earlier or two rounds earlier, and there, there's some way to always spin it that like some GM is is good at late round drafting until they're not. You know what I mean? Like, um, but right now I think Holmes is kind of maybe positioning himself to be on a hot streak. When you get somebody who I just said, like I'm on Ross St. Brown in the fourth round and he's a top 15 receiver, according to PFF. I mean, that's setting
1: the bar pretty high. You get to toot your horn after that. You get to toot your horn after that and getting some UDFAs who can somehow start at corner. I mean, maybe they weren't fantastic, but like the fact that you got production out of, AJ Parker and Jerry Jacobs is uh that's fantastic
3: that speaks to it too and and Jeremy I want you to jump in but like the other thing is like there's a huge swath of late round picks this 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 draft class right with with the Lions you know there's a lot of like James Mitchell he's really gonna play if if he's healthy and ready to go like Malcolm Rodriguez could squeak his way into you know a defensive role so
2: yeah and and I think this year will tell us a lot more about Brad Holmes capability of, of drafting late because I'm exactly, on around Derek yeah. Barnes were fourth round picks, but they didn't have a fifth round pick last year. They didn't have a sixth round pick and they only had Jamar Jefferson as a seventh round pick. And we'll see how that works out. Like you said, James Mitchell, Malcolm Rodriguez, James Houston, Chase Lucas. I personally, I think like there we, we can't make any sweeping generalizations about how Brad Holmes does as a, as a day three drafter. Um, but I think you're, I think a lot of things you guys said were like, I, I think draft Twitter in general falls in love with day three guys and, and just convinces themselves they're, they're eventually going to be starters. I do find it interesting. Like the, 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 the question asker mentioned like the dichom- dichotomy between Amon Ra and Derek Ra- Derek Barnes who has, as you probably remember back-to-back picks, right? Yeah. So like expectations have to be the exact same for these guys, which I, yeah, I, I do think Amon Ra's success has probably led to some to some unfair expectations out of Derek Barnes.
1: Yeah, th- um, those those needle in the haystack hits happen all the time, they're, but it's just, yeah. they're hard to predict. And to be honest, we're only in, I mean, to go back to Amon Ra, we're only in his sophomore year too. Like he sure. could just be a flash in the pan. I hope he's not. But People, I'm saying, like... You just said that. I'm Look, listen, man. All <laughs> I'm saying is that... the title of that, the podcast. Don't you dare do that to me. All I am trying <laughs> to Perfette say... Chris Perfet
3: thinks Amon Ra
1: is a flash-in-the-pan god. I can't even do my point now. I can't even do my point. My point was only that, like, we jump on these draft grades so quickly, right? Yeah. When the only grades we should be handing out for drafts are drafts that happened, like, three years ago. These guys, their stories aren't written.
3: Oh, it all comes full circle to how I spent my entire day
1: on Twitter. (laughs) We got through an entire hour plus without talking about that. Good job. Yeah, good job. Close it up. Let's close it up. For myself, I'm Chris Perfett. Find me on Twitter at Chris Perfett, P-E-R-F-E-T-T. Jeremy Reisman, the fearless leader, at Detroit Online, who will be at – ota this week camp, minicamp, baby minicamp, mandatory, minicamp. mandatory minicamp we'll have a lot of great fun with you for that we'll get some notes in for next time Absolutely. and ryan matthews at ryan underscore pod the burger eater and uh destroyer of souls and, and the uh sack master and the sack master and everything else yeah we'll see and from all of us here at pride of detroit we will see you star side <laughs>